How many times have we been talking about Russia? It ties into so many things. It ties in, of course, to the plight that Germany's in and the opportunity and the advances Canada hopes uh, to make as countries like Germany are feeling the pressure of their connection and relying on Russia for their energy sources. We are also talking about it when it it comes to one of the big announcements today. There were so many, and two of them had to had to do with Russia inadvertently, you know, side by the hydrogen announcement because of Germany's need to find new things. And then the announcement that there's going to be this task force or this team that's going to be tackling Russian disinformation. Long time coming. What can it do? And we're all watching as well what Russia's next move is going to be after that murder in Moscow, the explosion of the car, the killing of the daughter of the man who was apparently the architect of the attack on Ukraine. It's one of those moments that we discussed in our panel from our history books. Is this going to cause a reaction? So we're kind of waiting and looking for any kind of move. And today, you know, as watching and looking at all the contacts, contacts, that we all have as we watch this war in, in Ukraine. And there, there's a lot of watching the movements. Already Russia is blaming Ukraine and moving in and saying they have to do more. But is this real or is this part of the plot of Russia? Dr. Florian Gassner is joining us who is a professor of Central Eastern European Studies at the University of British Columbia. Thank you for being here, Doctor. Good evening. Good evening, Early. Thanks for having me. You know, it's a time when we're watching. Why don't we begin with the aftermath? Because there is uh, waiting with bated breath. Was Russia behind this? Is it really Ukraine? Uh, And to whose advantage is it to tell these stories and to have this information get out there? You know, it's already, as I said, and I'm sure you've seen the same thing being used. You're seeing reporting on Russian television saying this war needs to intensify. This is a real war. This is a just war. We must eliminate Ukraine and bring it into Russia. What are your thoughts as we're waiting for this? Are you seeing any signs? Well, actually, in Ukraine right now, everybody is bracing. People, for the first time, are apparently leaving Kiev again overnight because tomorrow Ukraine celebrates its Independence Day. And in a symbolic gesture or in a symbolic gesture of evil, I suppose, people are anticipating that Russia will start bombing civilian centers again, maybe even bombing the civilian parts of the city of Kiev. And so everybody's on high alert. People are ready in the bomb shelters and expecting the worst. They are, and with good reason. You know, right from the beginning, uh, Dr. Gassner, we, we've, been, we've been doing this, haven't we? When we realized anything could happen, what's going on inside Vladimir Putin's mind? And here we are bracing for some kind of reaction here. It was a murder. Who did it? And who... Who could benefit from this? That is the question being asked. What are we watching for here? And it is just from the Ukrainian point of view, if we follow the hypothesis that Ukraine is behind the murder of Daria Dugina, um, it doesn't really compute when you look at the advantages and drawbacks because uh, Daria Dugina was not a 
important figure in the hierarchy of the war and the architecture of the war. So killing her doesn't change the course of the war at all. And neither her father, her father is, this is connected to the disinformation you were talking about before. In the West, everybody believes that Dugin is an incredibly influential uh, consultant to the Kremlin. In Russia, nobody thinks that, but the Russians like to have the West think that fact. But the fact of the matter is, neither killing the daughter nor the father would significantly imperil the organizational structure of the Kremlin. And at the end of the day, Daria Dugina was just a civilian. And so for as a military target, it was not relevant, it was not important. And at the same time, Ukraine is receiving all the support from the West, receiving all the weapons and financial help because they are representing, they are fighting for the values of rule of law, of order, of uh, Western ideals, of humanitarian uh, cooperation. And so if Ukraine starts killing Russian civilians, that will not help them in their communications with their Western allies. It, it is, you know, I, I want, let's move on to the Russian disinformation. Our prime minister announcing this team to try to counter it. It's it's very timely. It would have been timely even several years ago, but clearly this disinformation is being disseminated. And we know that some of the sleuths online are finding where it comes from. I'm wondering, even the announcement of this is making news, and the announcement of it is could be seen by Russia as a provocation from Canada. But it's it's... As you said, it's timely and it's important mm. because if you consider the beginning of the war, people like me and colleagues all over Canada, we basically spent the first month explaining to everybody who would listen that Ukraine is actually not a state uh, made up of Nazis and right-wing radicals, that they have a strong civil society. And that disinformation also in many areas led to hesitation to supply Ukraine with humanitarian aid, to supply Ukraine with lethal and military aid. And so it is incredibly important that we have these networks so that we have, you know, well-informed Canadian society where when something bad happens, we don't have to spend the first four to six weeks to talk everybody down from the tree Russia has chased us up into. It is. How, how do you, you see this, this could be working? You know, we get the the disinformation and quickly refute it. Is is that what you're saying that you think would be important right now to use this for? It would be important, but the interesting thing in the announcement that came from the prime minister office, uh, prime minister's office, is that they were very uh, small on details. They haven't described who would be on this task force, how this would work. Because of course, when you have a task force like that, you can quickly create the impression that somebody from top down is telling you what's what and what is not. And that's an impression you wouldn't want to present. So I feel that they're still working on the details and they will have to present us with something convincing. Otherwise, people won't accept it. It is, and it's also a danger. We've also learned that Canada is one of the launching pads in so many ways to get this information out there from Russia as well, a dubious honor. It's in, in many Western democracies where we have strong right-wing movements, there is this strange fantasy by these right-wing groups that Russia is some sort of modern utopia. 
and that Vladimir Putin represents what their countries should represent. And so we have specifically in these right wing groups in these extreme pockets of public discourse, uh, people who are extremely willing and extremely able, sometimes with support from Russia, to proliferate this information to maximize its reach. And that is something immensely concerning and for which nobody has found a good solution so far. You know, it, it's it's frightening. I'll just say the word. It is frightening how far this has gone because we've seen the attempt to influence the election in the United States of America. We see on Russian TV the comments on what's happening politically in America. We've seen Canada's connection to this disinformation. We have to wonder, I mean, can you just refute it? How do you get into this cobweb of connection? Is there a way to break it? There is unfortunately no easy way, and it has a lot to do with what one researcher working very closely on this calls uh, the trust gap. So that within Western societies, there's a bit of a gap between uh, the public's position and what experts or scientists or the government has to say. And so to really fix it, the most important thing would be to close this trust gap, to reaffirm the society's belief and trust in its civil institutions. I want to ask you too, as we watch and we're preparing ourselves, the winter is coming, we're talking about resources, we're seeing Germany tried to make other plans, and we know this is heading into a very crucial time, especially for Ukraine. There has been a very strong support from allies. Vladimir Putin has been counting on this, waiting, and using the the supply of heat and heating fuel as a weapon, really weaponizing this. And we're getting into that time of fall, and heating and home heating and all these problems are going to come to a head. There's a little bit of a TikTok happening in our background here as we watch Russia and Ukraine. Dr. Gaston. And it's as right as now, as of now, it is still an open question because countries like France and especially Germany, which is one of the most important industrial hubs in Europe, are scrambling to fill uh, their uh, containers of gas for the winter. Germany's at 75% right now, which will get them to December, January, but winter is not over in January. So uh, this remains an open question. And the agreement Olaf Scholz uh, now reached in Canada to import hydrogen is an important step, but it won't come fast enough. So we are looking towards a showdown of sorts. It is. And, you know, when it first began, there was always this, you know, give him and give Vladimir Putin an off ramp. And then the chorus began months ago. It's gone too far. The atrocities are too much. We've seen what has happened in this. I mean, there has been a focusing on civilian and babies and children and and it's just gone too far. So as we wait for this, Dr. Gassner, there's a, a new kind of ominous feeling here. And the thing is, it's not even just this war because uh, Russia has received basically a blank check for off ramps ever since the dissolution of the Soviet Union. If you look at Moldova in 1992, if you look at um, Abkhazia, Georgia in 1993, if you look at Chechnya in 94 and 99, if you look at Ukraine in uh, 2014, each time the logic was, 
you know, Russia is a dictatorship that we can control. So we will give them a little bit and we will benefit of the cheap gas, of the cheap imports. And I think at this point, it's not just the atrocities we've seen so far, not just the violence in Bucha or in Irpin or in Mariupol. It's the West has come finally to the realization that this is a situation that should have not spiraled as far as it has. It is embarrassing considering that after 2014, when planes were shot down with civilians, the writing was on the wall. But so I think now there is just this consensus among Western allies that this is a situation that cannot be, there cannot be any more dithering. This has to be brought to an end and right quick. Dr. Florian Gastner is a professor of Central Eastern European Studies at the University of BC. Dr. Gastner, thank you as we go through all that. Appreciate it. Thank you, too. I'm Arlene Bynum. Don't go away. This is On Point.